The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're a developer. And you're in development, you're there to make individual players better. That is, that is what you're judged on. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A-licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B-licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A-licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways alongside a vast experience on individual player and team performance analysis. And as part of our insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Welcome back to another episode of the Coaches Network. But we've got a very special guest today, um, technical director at QPI and head of coaching at the academy, um, former first team manager of Chris Ramsey. Let's just welcome Chris to the show. Hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, hope everyone's safe and good during this time. Likewise, Chris. Um, so, Chris, we'll just get straight into it. You know, I just want to get a bit about, obviously, where the journey started for you. Obviously, you know, there's a, little, a lot of roles that you've taken on since you started your journey. Um, and I'm sure there's been many highs as well as lows. Um, just want to take us right back to where you, you know, where you, where the origins of your coaching journey started. Uh, well, basically, I took my prelim when I was 21, and I um, and I failed it, and then took it again, um, and then I didn't coach that till I was about 28, 28, 29. Um, I, my career, football career, ended here because I had some bad injuries, but I had to 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 start playing again because I wasn't financially able to keep myself so I I went to Malta and I, I played in Malta the as one of the foreign players you're only allowed three in those days in the team that I was at and that's our Lions and uh, what happened was the uh, the manager got the sack and I was one of the foreign players out there so they they let me take the team or they asked me, they told me to take the team for, um, for for some games while they were looking for somebody else but um, they ended up keeping me and I ended up doing a three-year stint as a player manager um, of the team, um, which was, you know, an outstanding learning experience for, for me. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't can't fight, thank that experience um, enough for giving me the opportunity to, to, to work with players but it was a very difficult job because when you're uh, when you're a player manager, you've got to actually stick to the to to the rules that you've set. You know, you've got to stick to the plan more than the players. Um, so so it's it's easier to point the finger at you as a manager and a, and as a player because uh, you've set the rules and you're actually you're actually uh, out there trying to implement them. Yeah, so I mean, that that in itself, you mean, you know, it's basically you're going to have to practice what you preach in that sense. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. And it's not, it is, to, be, to be honest with you, you know, when you're young and it was my first, you know, even coaching role, forget, man, forget, um, 
uh, management. You know, I was I was doing a little bit with the reserves and the youth team. You know, because uh, it's so hot out there, we train in the evenings, mm. um, and by and large, most of the players at that time were part time. Um, oh. and, you know, so. I was doing a little bit like that and working in a gym and all those sort of, all those sorts of things. But uh, you need to practice what you preach, obviously, when you're the manager. Definitely, and just you know, just on that, then you're starting off in Malta with your coaching journey. You know, you took your prelim badge a few years back, but that's not where your playing career ended, is it? Is it? No, because I I also went to, played in America as well for Coco Expo with Ricky Hill, mm-hmm. um, and that was before the MLS. Um, we actually got to the national final there. Um, Ricky, Ricky was the Ricky was the manager, um, and I ended up. You know, Ricky. Basically, what used to happen is that the league stops in Malta at the end of the season, and but they don't pay you through the summer. So uh, I, I ended up going to America and doing a lot of camps out there. And one of the one of the places I went was the to to Coco Expo, where um, I started working with Ricky, and then Ricky ended up going back to England the next year. And they asked me during the summer to come there and, and uh, be, you know, be a player, player coach there as well. Um, so I, so I, I did that for a, for a short period, but I was still doing yeah. the camps in America. But then I, I, when Ricky had gone, they asked me to come down and finish the season off, um, which was another fantastic experience. Uh, but also, um, I carried on the contract with the owner, the, the the head coach who actually sponsored a lot of English players. You know, like now you've got uh, English players go out and do scholarships in America. Yeah. Uh, there's Florida Tech University. So I, I actually uh, went back there and did, yeah. they have a fall season, they have a season, was the autumn season there. So I ended up um, doing the autumn season for, for the sponsor of the players out there. So it was brilliant. It was brilliant for me because I, I sampled, uh, you know, what would have been the highest level professional football at in Coco in uh, America at that time. And also uh, college football. So I learned a lot about college football, NCAA rules and all that sort of, all that sort of stuff. Uh, it, it was an outstanding experience. Yeah, so I mean, largely working, you know, initially in Malta and other moves in Covix was working in, you know, the senior game, um, essentially. Uh, well, I came back to England to, uh, after leaving leaving Malta because, you know, it, my, my, my career came to a natural sort of end out there. Um, I decided that I needed something else in my life because back in those days, you, you didn't earn the money that you earn now. Um, you didn't. So, you know, I wasn't financially set. Um, so I, I came back to England and went to uni um, to, to to do uh, a teaching degree. And uh, while I was while I was doing that, um, you know, obviously you can't. You, I couldn't get a job back in England, and I hadn't had my full badge. So I came back to do my full badge and go to uni. Um, and you know, it's very 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 difficult to get a job. Um, you know, that was like 1993, 94. So very, very difficult to get a job in those days um, in a centre of excellence. So, um, you know, I, I ended up working more with, with the with yeah. youth players. I mean, really, you had, had no chance of getting a senior job, to be fair, at that stage. Um, so I ended up working with youth players um, in the football community, actually, um, yeah. which is which with QPR, ironically with QPR. 
Uh, I'd okay. met Andy Evans, who's the, the, um, who's the trust CEO now on my full badge. And um, he asked me to, to come and do some stuff in football in the community and they had only just really started it. So I did football in the community with Orient, uh, QPR, Brentford, uh, Wimbledon. And um, that probably, I learned so much doing that, probably more than, than anything else so quickly because your versatility has to be on point when, you, when you're working in uh, football in the community because you've got so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was a massive learning curve for me. And just in terms of that, you know, how, how much of an importance do you think those you know those three roles that you've just discussed? They obviously time in Malta, time in the states, and obviously now working in the football community. How, how much of an importance, or rather, an influence has that? Uh, well, also the another massive a massive uh, thing was I worked three years as. Um, as the head coach of a, of a women's team, Newham Ladies, just when the when the leagues were start were starting when uh, uh, Millwall Lionesses were top, okay. and uh, all those initial um, areas of coaching and uh, um, and and learning how to uh, manipulate your your communication to different different people, different age groups, um, was really really important for me as as how to to, to work with people. And realizing that coming from the social end is where you need to, if you want to engage with players, you have to have a, you have to uh, approach it from the social end first. How can you connect with the player and the group in order to to help them to get better at what what the, they want to get better at? So uh, those things were really imp- really important for me. Um, Chris, I just want to ask, like in terms of within the sessions, how do you do that? Like, because a lot of coaches like to think they have a relationship with their players and whatnot or, or actually know what they need but like they they don't know really how to connect with players and I feel like that's um a skill set that's missed on um, in this uh, day and age so like what sort of techniques do you use to connect with the player within the session? Well first of all it depends who they, who they are I mean you, you have to understand what they do socially so if you're working say with an under nine say for argument's sake yeah. You understanding what cartoons are on the TV creates easy banter, easy, easy things to talk about. So you have to find out what they do away from football, who they like, what footballers they like, what teams they support. Um, I always believe that if you understand what they're, they're, you know, you might have a little insight into something that somebody in their family does. That's that's not, you know, solely um, um, at, at the club. So trying to find out a little bit about the player, the the person, the person rather than the footballer, is an easy way to connect with with players. Uh, now you don't want to go too far away from the football, but you you need to you need to they need to know that you you know them mm-hmm. a, 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 a little bit, and you care about them. So whatever happens, whether you think a player is good or bad, every time you give him feedback, he has to really believe that you're giving him feedback for him to get better uh, or her to get better. Mm. Um, and even if the feedback is negative, they have to be able to believe that you actually want them to get better. And, and I think once, pe- once people think that, I think you, your, your connection, especially with the young ones, yeah. It is um, I wouldn't say easier, but it, it's it's better because um, 
when people think you don't you, you you don't really care about them and you're showing a lot of favoritism to what would be uh, deemed the best players um it's hard to 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 manipulate their skills for them to really to reach their potential definitely just you know within that then you know you had those three roles. Um, Orient, I met Banji uh, at uni, uh, walking, you know, just bumped into him. I didn't know him, and he had, he had an Orient shirt on uh, because he worked in football in the community. And, um, and, and, and that's so at that time, he introduced me to Grant Cornwall at Orient, and I started working there. And then uh, there was, uh, you know, I played with a guy called Paul Brush, who's at Tottenham now, uh, uh, at South End, and he sort of uh, brought me in really with, uh, there was Stevie Shorey there who was a scout and Pat Holland and they sort of said, yeah, yeah you can come and work in the, in the centre of excellence. And they were the only, the only team that would, uh, you know, apart from numerous um, applica- applications or trying, trying to get into to different clubs, they were the only ones who said, yeah, you can come and coach one of the age groups. Um, but then I ended up being Paul's assistant with the youth team. And then Paul moved, uh, he moved into a higher job in the club because he was the, the youth development officer as well. And I, I ended up, uh, while I was at uni, believe it or not, full time. I also met a guy called Alex Welsh, who, um, who introduced me he, he, into coaching the women's team, Newham ladies. So while I was at uni, I, uh, I had those jobs. I had uh, the, the, the women's job, uh, the Orient job, which... Was full uh, was part time pay, but a full time job. Uh, you know what? Yeah, while I while I was doing a full time degree yeah. at, at, at university as well. So, mm. as far as football was concerned, you know, the, my time was pretty full because obviously, you know, uh, I was an adult then. You know, in my thirties, so there was no going home to mum or to or to the family. I was I would had to pay my own rent and stuff like that. So I had probably about four jobs, four or five other jobs apart from those as well while I was at uni. Um, so that's what I did. I went there and, and, and worked there and I went on a lot yeah. of courses, tried to educate myself. I did, you know, eight or 10 other diplomas at the time apart from my, my, uh, my B.Ed. Uh, so my time was really fulfilled because I, I'd, I'd got the first for learning, having not been at school for 17 years. I just got the first for learning because I, I, at school I was a typical footballer at the back, not yeah. not not really paying attention. Uh, no, left with no quali- one qualification. Um, mm. So there was no, I had no real formal education. But then I, I got the first for it. Um, and then, uh, fortunately for me, the FA headhunted me to to be a regional director for for London and the South East. Now, in those days, uh, being a regional director meant that you were in charge of every, everyone in your region. So all the CPD, all the scouting, uh, the, uh, the licensing, you know, with, with the badges and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, coaching the England teams as well. So, um, you know, for me, it was fantastic from the point of view that there'd been no black regional mm-hmm. directors ever or people in my position um, at the FA, um, and I was the, I was the first one. Um, yeah. So I embraced that job. It was a massive, massive learning curve because I was um, Howard Wilkins' assistant at the time, and I learned so much from him. 
people like Dick Bates, uh, Craig Simmons, Kenny Swains, John Peacocks, people like that 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 were that were there who are older than me. Uh, you know, Martin Hunt was there at the time. Uh, who were who were much more experienced and wiser in in um, in football as regards their experiences and coach education was 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 a massive steep learning curve for me and Dick Bate was phenomenal for me mm. as regards mm. um, learning how to coach coaches um, and also the, the detail of the game you know I don't think I've learned more from anybody uh, in that manner than than him so. That was a fantastic learning curve at at, at the FA where I I was one of the one of the authors of the uh, the fit they had a fitness badge at the time. Uh, so before there was all these these uh, sports scientists um, yep. fitness coaches, the FA uh, wrote an, an award that uh, initially you had to have to to work in in a club, and then the clubs ended up going their own way. But I was one of the authors of that. Um, because I'm actually probably more fitness than I am football, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, I'm actually more, more, you know. So, so I was one. Of, okay. Well, <laughs> I, I don't think the lockdown has been uh, working on the comic book. Yeah, I don't think the lockdown has been uh, has been helpful towards my waistline. But, uh, those days are gone <laughs> of, of 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 doing the the early morning runs, but. Um, <laughs> You know, at the FA, I, there was a lot. I learned a lot. I travelled a lot. I did a lot of tournaments. Uh, worked with every England team apart from the first team and the under-17s in those days. Um, and I ended up working in the under-17s later on in my in you know, when I when I left the FA. Yeah. But so I worked with every England team, um, and it was it was a, an unbelievable learning curve as international football at different ages, different tournaments in different countries. Um, seminars uh, in different parts of the world, putting seminars on as well. You know, probably looking back at the mistakes I've made uh, at that time, at that level. But uh, one of the things was you had to learn very, very quickly and it was unforgiving. So you, you couldn't keep making mistakes all the time. You, you had to quickly take orders uh, and quickly execute them, which was something that I've uh, brought into into the way that I, I work now, you know. You have to realise who's in charge and what they want and how quickly can you make the person in charge uh, happy, basically. Um, and so that's so the FA the FA situation was was fantastic. Definitely. Just just on just, just you know, talk there about you know becoming the the first black regional coaching director or, uh, or well, in the area or in the FA from Portugal. That was, you know, what it's was obvious. That like? the, 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 you know, you, you, it's like anything. It's obvious. You know when you are the only black person. But, you know, when, when you know, someone I've got to look at, up, up to, I look up to now still is um, Hope Powell. So we were the only mm -hmm. two black uh, employees in, in the coaching department at that time. And Hope... You know, to, to, she's fantastic for what she's overcome and what she's done. And she's a really good coach as well. Um, you know, so we, so fortunately, uh, you know, I had her to sort of uh, talk to, not, for, not not only from the fact that we were the only two black people, but as colleagues, you know, we, we you know, we got on really well. And, uh, you know, and I, and I was, to, I was able to help her uh, with her full badge. Uh -huh. Uh, it was called in those days, so um, which which was which was brilliant. Um, 
But what that was like was you, you are all, always aware uh, and you are always fighting the cause. And one of the things I'm sort of proud of myself a little bit for, and, and she would be proud of herself, was it was it would in those days it was easy to keep your mouth shut because you had no real support to to if you if you know people just chloroform you don't they, they you know and then they they gag you and then that's the end of it and you're just forgotten about but we both we yeah. we both always put our point forward um, and I think it, at that time the FA was starting to look at uh, a tide of change. Um, there was an outrageous situation where they put uh, there was uh, they decided there was going to be an, an ex England player with every team, every team as as you know to influence the players and be sort of mentor mentoring and also get their badges. And out of the uh, the five players, there wasn't one black player, and and that would that ended up being an outroar. Uh, and and people didn't realise you know behind the scenes where you know we're sort of trying to fight the battle. Um, mm. So those sort of things at that time, you know, there was beginning to be a change. But, you know, as we know, the change has been ridiculously slow for the whole country. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask, you said that you made yeah. like um, yeah. a few mistakes uh, whilst you're in that role. And obviously, uh, as coaches to develop like, mistakes are needed for, to learn and whatnot. Like, could you just like specify like what sort of mistakes there were? So just to aid um you know coaches development me uh yeah. not quickly not understanding the person i was working with which was howard wilkinson uh mm. you know like for argument's sake getting to getting to venues and being ill equipped uh with what with what he wanted uh, you know for argument's sake by the time i finished working with him you know we'd we'd go to places now it's not like you've got a uh, smart smart boards and all this sort of stuff you know i would i'd make yeah. sure that i'd have a4 paper, A5 paper. I'd have felt tips. I'd have chalk. Chalk in those days. I'd have everything that, that he would need. <laughs> he would need just in case we turned up at a venue and that was all they... Listen, you go to some countries, you, you haven't got that. You've got a board, chalkboard. You know, you go somewhere mm. where you, you, you want to stick the set pieces on the wall and you need uh, tape or you need uh, blue tack. But making sure that I was well prepared for everything, every eventuality. And also delivering what he wanted me to deliver during the training sessions. So not thinking, oh, I've got an idea. Um, so I want this person to do that. Quickly decide, quickly understanding what he wanted and, and, and quickly trying to deliver what he wanted, regardless of my, my thoughts and my ideas um, mm. in, 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 in the game. And, and, and I'm trying to make sure that I learn as much as I could, yeah. regardless of whether I believed in it or not. Um, mm. And also giving the people who with, with the um, experience the, the due respect that, that, uh, that they deserve. So yeah. some yeah. of the mistakes I made when I, when I was working at the FA, I mean, look, it was much more strict than it is now. You know, when you, when you did your, your, your final session, you needed to have your socks pulled up, you know, your top clean, your top button done up, and all stuff like that. I mean, my my first, yeah. my first, uh, when I was a tutor, the first session I did, I had a uh, tracksuit bottoms on, um, gloves, hat turned backwards because it was a little, you know, because 
Um, it was raining and that, and and I delivered the, the session, the session like that, um, and the session, you know, I walked off thinking, God, that was that was that went all right, and uh, and I got pulled aside by by people that, like Dick Bate, people like that with, with high standards, and they they and they're saying, look, you're a role model to the coaches that are there. How you portray yourself is how they're going to portray themselves. You're you you um unlit, making the session loose. Is not going to teach the coaches how to how to how to coach, um, and little things like that. So, well, big mm. thing at the time because I was only in my mid thirties, um, and you know you think you're better than you are, um, and yeah. that's one of the things I realised quickly um, that that I wasn't, and I didn't have a breaking in period like you got now. There was like you're right, get it right or see you later, because you're working mm. for the highest level. Uh, and you're trying to coach, yeah. and what you and, and in those days when you had the 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 full badge, and you were dealing with pros, so you had the pros license and the non pros license. Now, one mm. thing you're going to do is if you're working with the pros, you better know your stuff, otherwise they're going to see through you straight off straight off the bat, and then Definitely. you can't you can't wing it. So planning and preparation was really really important um, for for me. Yeah. And understanding to go to the boundaries of what I know, rather than trying to wing something where I could be pulled up. And if I weren't sure, I'd always ask questions. In fact, I became a bit of a pest. So you know, <laughs> in the afternoons, I'd always be going to Dick's Dick's office or Dick's you know room or Kenny's or uh, Martin's or or any any of the senior coaches, and I, and they would be like rolling their eyes, but not in a bad way, but. I wasn't yeah. scared to to say I didn't know something. I didn't know okay. this, you know, right, you know, if there's going to cross it, should he chip it? Should he wedge it? What should he do? Should he pull it back? I wasn't, well, after the first couple of times of putting sessions on and, and where, you know, I, you know, I was really uh, swimming against the tide, I realised that, that I needed to use these people as libraries, you know, their knowledge as libraries, you know, like I don't need to know everything they know, but I need to know what, what the bit that they know that can help me. Definitely. And just on, just on that question, you know, you've, you, there's a couple of questions I've got for you there. You touched on obviously the coaching qualification and going through the badges. What are your thoughts in terms of where the current coach education system sits in terms of the, you know, what is now known as obviously the B license, A license, and how far they shifted away from what was, I guess, generally agreed upon as a heavy, heavily technical focused uh, t content to now in my opinion has been shifted a lot away from maybe technical side and much more on the other four, other four corners um, what are your thoughts on that and what, what would your advice be to coaches who are no doubt going to be questioning right I've come onto this course to try and get some of that technical content but it's not there as or it's certainly not there as predominantly as it maybe used to have been uh, well I mean obviously the way I see the courses, I mean, I don't know the rationale for the courses and where they are. So, there are, you know, there's plenty of people that I know in the FA, and they may they may have changed it based on I don't know a directive. Um, but I do I do generally find that most of the coaches that work that I see the ones that come to work with us at the club, their technical their technical their knowledge um, is is um, shallow, shall I say? They don't they don't actually know. If I was to ask someone to coach a technique of holding the ball up or a punch pass or a clipping the ball or something like that, they wouldn't be able to break it down to, to affect the player, to affect the player's delivery. 
Um, and that's what I find at the moment. Now, whether whether they just haven't taken that on board during the courses, I don't I don't know. But I, I find that the technical detail of a lot of the coaches uh, now is is wanting. Definitely. And what would your advice be to maybe coaches who are maybe trying to seek that? Because you know, I've, I've had a discussion with many many coaches and even coach educators that do feel that maybe some of the content is as uh, as I said predominant as it used to be once. Um, so maybe some of that demonstration is lacking. I mean, I, I consider myself quite fortunate in that I've had a bit of exposure to the current system and a bit of exposure to how it was before. And that we go through our you know level two, our B license, we rock up to the final day, and then it will be do that final passing to pass or fail assessment. Where in that mode of study, I thought there was a lot more emphasis and support from the tutors in particular around some of that technical uh, content and the technical understanding, technical detail, as you put it. Whereas now it's much more, well, well, go and coach what you want to coach, just justify it. You know, there's a lot of people that believe that's kind of it's gone maybe too far in the other direction. Yeah, would you do that to a school teacher? No, you wouldn't. Oh. This, this is it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't yeah, say so. to someone who's just going to want to be a t- school teacher, turn up at the school and, uh, right, uh, there's a okay. class in there, they want to learn maths, just justify it at the end. You wouldn't do that. This is it. So, I mean, what would your advice be to maybe coaches who are maybe maybe thirsting for that information but can't get it via the content of the courses? Well, first of all, I would I would say ask the people on the courses because I'm sure that the, the people that deliver the courses have got that te- technical understanding in their in their you know in, in their uh, abilities. But also learn the game yourself. Right, learn how to teach because um, a lot of coaches I see can't even can't even juggle the ball. So, you know, depending who you're who you're working with, you know, the younger they are, you know, we all talk about picture paint paints a, a, a thousand words, uh, you know. Um, so we also have to learn how to play the game ourselves. You know, you don't have to be a top player to be a, the top teacher. You just need to know about it. Um, and a lot of the times, coaches want to coach tactically. I find that people. All they talk about now is tactics. Oh, we dropped in there. We he slid across and he stopped this and he did. You, you, that's not your role. If you want to do that, go and be a first team coach. So what happens is, is people don't want to learn technique. They want to. They want to learn tactics. So that's where I think a lot of the coaches coming into the game now fail the players. Because they don't know how to make the players better as individuals. They might be, listen, I'm not saying they might not know how to make teams better, but that isn't when, if, unless, you're, unless you're one of the 92 people working with the first team, you're a developer. And you're in development, you're there to make individual players better. That is, that is what you're judged on. You know, we can all, your team, I could play your team tomorrow, you could, you could beat us 6, 7, 8 nil. As long as at the end of it, I've got the best players or the players that I believe can go on to the next level, that's that's the that's my only purpose for being in an academy's in an, in an academy's uh, uh, fold. That's my own. That's my only reason. Now, if I'm working at grassroots, there's a different mat. There's a different matter. It depends what you're looking for. If you're working at grassroots and you genuinely want those players to progress into the into the the professional ranks, then you got to forget about the the outcome of the winning games. And you've got to try to make sure that players perform properly. 
if you're in, you got to know what you're doing. If you're in a situation where all you wanted to do is create a good community feel where you win games and everybody's happy and uh, uh, then, then fine. As long as you know uh, what your, what your, uh, what your level is and what you're trying to achieve, then fine. Mm. Let's, let's take you back to your roles now. So, you, you know, you've spent some time as a regional coaching director. You said you've worked through a range of different uh, of the uh, youth teams within England. So, uh, how'd you go from this? Uh, Rick, Ricky Hill uh, headhunted me and asked me to come to now. Ricky Hill, as you know, top coach and a top top player as well. He was like the third or fourth player, uh, black player to play for England, um, and he was outstanding, outstanding for Luton. He put them on the map. Um, along with Brian Steen and, and, and people like that, uh, Mark Steen, um, Mitchell Thomas. So uh, Ricky, Ricky got the job there as a legend of the club um, and he asked me to come and be his assistant. Um, so, um, so I did. I left the FA and I went to be, went to be his assistant. Um, so we were there First thing, first thing uh, you hear when you get there. This shows us first black pairing, first black pairing um, in 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 the history of football. Um, first thing you hear is oh, uh, pre-match is going to be rice and peas, uh, you know, jerk chicken. <laughs> That's the first thing people. What, what, pe- uh, I'll tell you what, it'd been more nutritious than what they were eating when we got there. For real. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so so we went there, uh, tried to implement a very professional. Luton were going on a little bit of a downturn at the time. The club financially was going through a poor situation, which is probably how you get jobs when you don't get jobs when everything's going well. Um, mm. You know, they had a really good um, long-time coach and manager that they'd had, uh, Lenny Lawrence, who's a thousand gamer, so he was top-notch, and he but he he left the, he left the the the, the role. And Ricky came in and he asked me to come in and, you know, we tried to, it was a young team at the time um, with some old um, uh, backstabbers, shall I say, in the t- at the time, players that don't want to, don't want to do the, don't want to do what you, you want them to do. Um, and they influenced the young kids. So we tried to bring a lot of, uh, we tried to bring a lot of new stuff into the into the place because obviously from uh, my fitness background in those days you know we were bringing them in on Sundays for cool downs they weren't having it um, they weren't having a lot of the new stuff that, that you know the, 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 the variation in stretching you know the, the combination of static and dynamic stretching they weren't having the cool downs on a Sunday they weren't having the food that we ch- we changed from state casseroles in the afternoon um, after training, to uh, we tried to change it to, 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 to the stuff that they eat now, really, um, mm. and it's probably ahead of its time. Uh, um, looking looking back on it now, but we played some good football, and but you know they didn't give us they didn't give us uh, much time. I think I I got about three or four months, um, and I actually went before Rick. Um, because I listen, I'm a little bit. I'm 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 quite harsh, really, when it comes to dealing with people not doing their job. 
because obviously I'd I'd, I'd been I'd been a, a manager in Malta, and I realised that everything always comes down to you. If it, people don't do their job, you're the one getting the sack. Um, mm. So the players didn't want the discipline, and they didn't want to change from you know 1980s type way of of working to uh, to to being brought into the into the new into the new world, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, just on that. Uh, obviously, the the sort of methods that you guys were trying to implement was ahead of its time. But, and obviously, it's a new idea to these players. Is there anything that you would do different in in terms of the way you introduce it to the players, or, or are you, were you happy uh, with that? Yeah, I probably would have. Looking back on it now, probably would have taken our time. Uh, in doing it, but what time are you going to get? Because if they, if you believe that they're not preparing properly and they're losing, you're going to get you're going to get the sack anyway. So mm. probably not done it as fast. Probably been a little bit more forgiving when people didn't comply, um, because obviously it was new to them. But the fact is, football is not a long term job, is it? It's a short. It's a short to medium term. It's, it's not short, medium, and long, is it? you have to get it right straight away. And and we realised that people were... Listen, we had people doing the beat test and we're getting 10. So, you know, I'm so, you know, uh, you know, we talk about making mistakes. At that time, I'd left the FA, but I had a contract with Disney. Um, because I was, I used to, to I, I was the, the coach there for two summers in, in, you know, the high, high, high paying, not for me, but a high paying, um, level of camp on the Disney con- complex and I couldn't break the contract. I went there with a, with a guy called um, Alan um, uh, Pat Dix, uh, um, who, who was a friend of my, mine and he was our general manager actually at Coco Expo, mine and Rick's. I couldn't really break it. So I ended up coming back to pre-season late, which um, looking back on it, did it help? Probably didn't help. But when you're getting people getting 10, on on the uh, on the beep test, then you know they're either not trying or you know they're so unfit that uh, <laughs> it's not going to help you during the season. Mm. Mm. I just want to take you back a little bit. Uh, obviously, we've kind of moved forward from the FA, Robbie. Um, I just wanted to go through the youth World Cup experience that you had with the England under. Uh, yes, which which was great for me. So it made me obviously the first male English. Um, coach of colour. Um, it followed in the footsteps of obviously um, Hope Powers. She was the first black English coach. Um, but that was that was highlighted at the time in in a positive manner. Um, obviously, Howard. Uh, it was one of those jobs that was you know a poison chalice really because um, it, lots of the players were pulling out because of the nature of going to to. Um, to, to Nigeria, uh, there was the, 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 I think it was the Afghan, the Afghan war at the time um, where there was a lot of threats. Um, and I think the FA had had uh, terrorist um, threats at the time. Um, so a lot of the clubs weren't, weren't happy to let their players go. Um, and also there was, the, the, the team had a lot of talent, you know, in a, you know, you had people like, Steve Gerrard and Michael Owens and that that type of level of person, Jonathan Woodgate, Joe Cole, 
Um, the team was fantastic. Um, mm. That would have that would have gone. Um, that players that were available to go, shall I say? And there were a lot of the players pulled out. So the, so we ended up taking what would have been the standby players, all the standby players. Um, well, not all mm. of them were standby players, but but we uh, at least half of them were. Um, but you know, you had people like Ashley Cole, who was a standby player at the time. He he he, he was player of the tournament for us. Um, he was fan- fantastic. You know, you had people like Paolo Valletta that he, he he was on there. Peter Crouch. Uh, so it was loads. Most of the players on there you would probably know um, yeah, after. But mm. it was a very very difficult difficult tournament and I was glad the way that the staff and everybody navigated it and the way the players conducted themselves um, but for me another milestone as regards door opening for um, for people and you know at the time you know unbeknownst to, to a lot of people you know it was it was quite it, it was quite a rush job um, they gave me the job late because um, because Howard was in those days, uh, Howard had taken over the England job for one or two games because they, had, I think Glenn Hoddlewood vacated the position, and so it, and I was his assistant, so it, it meant that I I I, I took the team, um, uh, but I knew I knew that really I had to take that job for for not only for me personally, but obviously for what it might mean for for for, for minority coaches. Uh, you know, at the time, I, I, mm-hmm. I remember having my uh, my injections and being advised by the doctor because in those days, you had to go to your own GP to get to get to get your jabs. You know, I mean, it wasn't like now where you get mobile doctors coming and doing it. And uh, and he said to me, "Oh, when are you going?" And I told him, and he said, oh, "Well, well, some of these jabs, I, I don't advise you to go for to do the recce." But 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 I went anyway. Mm. Um, you know, the stupidity yeah. of youth. Um, and it, and and it, it it was another milestone for me in my career, and 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 also slightly opened the door for for people like to come in after, like you know, Noel Blakes and people like that. You know, uh, and just you know, I know we just we jumped a bit back and forth here across your journey, and it's, but there's been some really interesting bits coming up, and you, you touched on it there. You know, you felt that it was almost. Uh, from what it sounds like, you, you took you took up the position not only because it was a good opportunity itself, but it was an opportunity to maybe um, represent those that are underrepresented, more, you know, more specifically in your case, you know, a black coach. And your efforts haven't gone unrecognised. You know, I mean, recently, I think, if you correct me if I'm wrong, it's last year you were awarded with MB for the amount of effort and dedication you've had towards that. Yeah, listen, I was really really pleased and, and fortunate uh, Manisha Taylor at our, at our place unbeknownst to me um, uh, nominated me and uh, and I got you know and I, and I got the award one of the things I was pleased about that it was recognising um, services to football and diversity not just service you know not diversity I would have felt that would have been a little bit tokenistic so you know because yeah, you know yeah. a lot of the times you you when you get called in to do an interview, say on TV, people are not calling you to do uh, the t- They're always calling you for the diversity shout. Well, I'm saying, well, I do know yeah. a little bit about tactics. Uh, you know what I mean? I do, uh, you know, yeah. I am quite equal to the people <laughs> that you are talking to on TV about football. So, um, mm. you know, so I was really pleased that that's, 
you know that that, that it was for those two things rather than uh, just just diversity. Yeah. And, you know, just just on that, what was your reaction when you did? Find well, well, listen, when when you get an award of that level, it, it's really more the first thing you think about is your family. That's the first thing. First thing you think about, you know, mm. what are they going to say? How proud they're going to be? And you're doing it really for everything that you do. It, you always bounce back to your family. Generally, well, me, some people don't because I understand people have different relationships. But you're always really looking for their approval for what you're doing and, and, and how you're going and how you mm. how you're going to mm. be seen in their eyes. And also the 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 the, the, the close people that have you know helped you to get to where you are you know in in my case you know you look at John McDermott and Les Ferdinand and Ricky Hills and Tim Sherwoods and and there's plenty of people more that that, that have helped me like uh, Misha Jervis she's a psychologist a big friend of mine who's who's helped me you know people that have really uh, been there for you when you needed uh, I wouldn't say mentoring advice but I've, I've just Chivered you along in different directions, and 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 mm. been massive um, catalysts for change in your life. Um, and you know, and there's plenty of people I can name, you know, that that, that have helped me um, equally to equally to those people. But they they spring straight to, to mind um, of how you developed as a person. Mm. And you talk about men- mentoring. Sorry, uh, you talk about mentoring no there. And like, that's, you know, he's considered as you know one of the most influential black coaches in British football. Um, and I, I you know, recognise obviously with the MBE. There's a lot of coaches who, I guess, from the underrepresented groups, will be looking up to you as, I guess, a, a role model uh, per se. What What would you say is key for you then in terms of you know? I think something you touched on earlier, and I think it kind of fits in here in terms of practicing what you preach what would you say are some of the key things that maybe those underrepresented coaches should be i guess looking to kind of or the behaviors should be I guess, looking well, to first them? firstly what i would say to the whole community of coaches right if you looked at uh what was achieved at tottenham by black and mm-hmm. white coaches mm-hmm. if my name's chris ramsey and you came from another country you wouldn't know i was black so you would just look at what was achieved, yeah. wouldn't you? Mm. And say, well, you know, what they what they did there was a was a was a really good was really good. It was a world world class effort. Mm. And I'm not saying it's we're the only people, you know, you've got loads of developers, but what I'm saying is sure. you would say that is a world class effort. Right? My my name's Chris Ramsey. I don't know, I'm mm. gonna have an interview with him. What would they who would they expect? They would expect a white guy, wouldn't they? Right? Now, so what I'm saying is, mm. I'm just a coach. I'm just a coach. So, the 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 the, the problem that we got in the moment is, I'm being um, looked upon as one of the most influential black coaches. But I've influenced the whole community, everybody, everybody, black, white, yeah. um, mm. Asian, whatever, whatever it, it may be. So, if Tottenham have pro- provided something that has been an influential part of producing England players over the last decade or, or whatever it may, may be, that, uh, that, that's just done by a coach. It's just done by a coach, yeah. isn't it? Mm. Yeah, definitely, not, not the colour at all. And just, just on that then, so, you know, you, you went to Tottenham, 
uh, after a brief uh, spin, a stint in, uh, back in the States. I left Luton. Is that, is that correct? Uh, I went to Barnet, uh, where I learned okay. probably as the most about philosophy. Uh, believe it, what believe it or not, people okay. say, "Well, you." I've been fortunate to be around the world and seeing people coach and seeing learn, learn, John Steele. I learned more about philosophy from him than I learned from probably anybody. Um, and I was an agent as well for a period, which was the worst job in football. Uh, I hate, I hated that. Um, and then fortunately for me, I went to work in New Orleans for a period. And during the time I was there, Pat, Pat Dix rang me up from Disney. His dad was the coach at, at uh, Charleston Battery in South Carolina. And in those days, there was, there was, there was two leagues. There was the A-League and there was the MLS. So, but they were like almost like one league, really. The MLS was, was obviously the higher league, but the A-League yeah. was quite close. So, um, so I, I went to the A-League, uh, Charleston Battery. They had the first, the first custom-built um Stadium was there. Uh, custom built for football was there. Okay. And mm. um, it was a magnificent experience. Uh, I had three seasons there. Um, won the, champ- the national won championship. Um, and coached, you know, it, it was when foreign players started, start, started coming to England. But lots of English coaches hadn't worked with a lot of foreign players in those days. So I, I I went there and I worked with Paraguayans, mm. Mexicans, Trinidadians, obviously Americans, and people from all around the world. So I learned a lot about working with different different cultures, quickly understanding about different cultures, how you talk to them, what you do, what you don't do. Uh, now I didn't learn about it and just get mm. through it. I learned about it the hard way. You know what I mean? I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. You know, I look back now and mm. I think, well, what did I say that for? Why, why didn't I do that? Uh, or whatever but that's all part of the learning curve and I was able to do that really away from the massive spotlight of being here and you know working say in non-league and not doing well and 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 you know the only thing is you sort of get forgotten when you're out when you're out there because the communications now are miles uh, more efficient and 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 people are more miles more aware but Charleston was absolutely brilliant you know you, you end up going and playing in Puerto Rico and then you'll play in Vancouver uh, and then you'll play in El Paso mm. and then you know you, you know you, it, it, the, 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 the things I learned there about preparing for different climates but uh, playing you know, preparing recovery mm. you know because what would happen is is you would go say to Rochester which is in New, in New York State and you would play uh, Rochester one night and then you would drive to Toronto which was four hours away and then you would have to but they yeah. but you couldn't just keep going backwards and forwards you would have to play in two days you know and st- stuff like that so it, it, it was it was really really an important um, part of my development for managing teams and set pieces and um rotating squads mm. and stuff like that. It, 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 uh, and if you know anything about Charleston, it is so hot there. It's uh, like 90, uh, like you could be playing in 100 degrees with 90% humidity. So learning about how to, to manage games, when to quick it up, quicken it up, when to slow it down, 
had to see games out. It was, it was brilliant. And just, I just want to harken back um, to your time at Barnet because you you credited them for like their philosophy. What was it particularly about that that you learned? Was it how like um, detailed the philosophy was at Barnet, or how uh, it, 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 it was John Steele particularly? So what he did, everything yeah. he did, yeah. everything he did pertained to how he was how he played. There was no like changing all the time. He, he he had a way of doing things. So it's consistent. And um, uh, he had a way of doing things, and he just did it. He just did it, and he and he wouldn't and he was I wouldn't say he was stubborn to the point of fault, but he was he he was very very successful in what he did. And he said, right, this is what has kept me in the game for this amount of time. I, I've had I've had this amount of jobs doing this. I, I've recruit the personnel to do what I want to do. And this is how we're going to train in order to make sure that it works. So for argument's sake, mm. I remember one game that we had, uh, and it was a reserve game, and we took the kickoff, and he had a certain kickoff that he did. And I remember doing the game and then walking round, and uh, the, guy did, the guy who did it, who, who, who was involved in the kickoff, didn't do what he was supposed to, to do. And he said to me, um, "Can you can you take can you take him off, please?" Well, he didn't say it in that such, those such quiet quiet words like that. But he said, "Can you take it? Can you take him off?" <laughs> you know. What, so what I'm saying is, he's saying, "Look, if it goes wrong, I'm getting sacked. So I'm asking you to do that, right? You're getting paid to do that. Can you just do it, please?" Uh, and mm. some of the stuff that he did and how he implemented what he did, I learned a lot from him. Yeah. Mm. And I just want to delve a bit deeper into your on Spurs time. Uh, like you already said, it, it was it was quite like a successful time where you guys produced a lot of international players, and and even before that, a lot of players that were able to um, appear in the top divisions. What was it particularly uh, for you in the day to day that you guys were implementing? Well, first of all, there's always there's always a, an element of fortune when you when things work. So, for argument's sake, myself and John uh, went there, and we'd been speaking for years. When I'd come back from America, he'd be working for the FA. I'd go and watch games with him and stuff like that, watching the players. So we so we had a common a common thought. We're different, very very different people, but we had a very common goal and a common thought about how we development should happen and we 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 mm. implemented it to the t um and with no no um we didn't waver we didn't listen to anybody else so what we done was if we came in and there's a thing called uh well i don't want if there's kids listen to this but it's it's called fifo so you come you, you so there's no you, oh, if you yeah. don't want to stay, don't stay, don't stay. So there was no. We knew. Just, just, just for reference, Chris. Uh, okay. Like, well, basically, what yeah. it is 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 fit in or off. So it, at the end of the day, what you can't have is ten coaches and ten different ideas. You, you have to pick something that you believe in, yeah. and you have to work that thing. As much as you can, you can't. You can't be like, oh, what we're going to do? Oh, this, this, this week, um, Guardiola's doing this. Next week, uh, Mourinho's doing that. 
So we're changing all the time, which is why I, what I think a lot of coaches do. Now, I'm not saying that you don't acknowledge when things are not working, but you, people change just for the sake of fad, fadism, and I can't stand that. And um, we, we never did that. We just, we had our philosophy. Listen, don't get me wrong. We're not saying we didn't evolve with the times. That's different to changing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And just, just on that then, Chris, that philosophy that you just alluded to there, can you mind just going into a bit of detail around where that philosophy is that you and John were talking uh, and we had conversations back and forth over the years. Obviously, we had a prior relationship before going to Spurs. Where did that philosophy originate from? You know, what, what would, and what would you say? Would well, my philosophy particularly came from a mishmash of different things. So, for argument's sake, my first initial influence was the uh, Germany versus Holland 1974 World Cup. So, you're looking at interchange of players of the Dutch and you're looking at the discipline of the Germans, but the flair of Beckenbauer. So, you've got Beckenbauer... A flair of Beckenbauer from a from a from a player that plays in in the back line and in the midfield at the same time, and some of the players that they had in Germany, you know, the the poachingness of Gerdy Muller and things like that. so that 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 all those that, that was my biggest influence. Obviously, the first World Cup I saw was Brazil versus Italy, but you know that that was that was uh, before I could comprehend. The, the what it was and I've watched it back so that that influenced me quite a lot and obviously I've been an Arsenal an Arsenal supporter so Charlie George and there's loads of things like the Colombians of the early of the 90s you know with Valderramas and people like and, and, and uh, pe- people like that mm-hmm. um, Burkham as an individual um, um, you know so different individuals different types of of, of, of plates of sort of it's a hybrid of of of, uh, of that really, um, and and then yeah. obviously, obviously uh, learning theory, learning theory of of the zones of proximal development, of how how you how you work with players yeah. from where they're at and how you take them to, to where they they want to be and and beyond if you can, and 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 just a, a hybrid of that. So my my personal philosophy came from those different ingredients uh, and then also realizing very very early on that the whole youth team is not going to play for the first team even if you win the youth cup every every year so so what you have to do is realize that your mm-hmm. job is actually to get people jobs that is your job your job is to make sure that the player coming in mm-hmm. at 9 becomes a professional footballer wherever <sighs> But yes, yeah, the, the agent is it. No, I didn't make any money as the agent. That's why I'm poor. Uh, but um, but real, <laughs> realizing that your job is to make sure that players become footballers because they're not all going to, they're not, it's never happened. Sure. Class of 92 is rare, um, but it's, it's never happened that, that, that you get 10 youth team players from one youth team gets into the, gets into the first team. The, the, mm. I think it's being realistic, isn't it? I mean, that there's there's already a a squad of players there, and it's not exactly. limited to a specific age group either. So you, you're actually now competing with going from maybe an under twenty one group to exactly a generation exactly. So so I mean, we had a lot of so, co- consistency is the key to any philosophy because if everybody everybody does it, everybody does yeah. what you've asked them to do. 
more, more time than not, it'll work. It's when you get people saying, when you, mm. you know, as, as a developer, you, you've, you, or you put something into place and you turn your back and there's four different um, ideas going because you're actually not helping the players to succeed. Um, you know. Mm. Yeah. Chris, we already um, touched on it uh, there, uh, a bit earlier in terms of um, John Still's uh, influence uh, on you. And the fact that, like, you know, he just knew what he needed. So, like, what is it that you look for within coaches? Well, they've got to be compliant to what we what we want to do. Yeah, FIFO. Com- FIFO, man. Completely FIFO. FIFO, yeah. <laughs> they've got to be compliant. And But, you know, a lot of times people <laughs> think that that is me taking their flair away. What What it is, is me allowing them to respect the coach of the next team. So, for argument's sake, if you if you if you if one if, if you go into a, a school and you have an English teacher that doesn't do the the first thing, then the, uh, a person can't write properly. Then the next teacher can't get them to write stories. Then the next teacher can't get them to do the punctuation. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so you have to make sure that there there is yeah. each each coach provides a platform for that player to succeed with the next coach. Mm. Now, if you're just doing your own thing, it might be you're coaching, you're coaching for yourself. So the coach, coach has to be selfless. Yeah. Coach has to be thinking, right, how do I make this, this player become, reach his potential at, at the level that, that, that I'm at? So if you're an under-12s coach, how do I make this player be uh, an end product under twelve? How do I make him be an end product under 15? That's all you're trying to do. Now, we understand we work on a capability-based program, so people are not always capable of being an end product, but as, as near as you can, can you do that? Um, so I always think to myself, mm. coaches all come in with their own ideas. I always say to them, you know what, if you want to stay in the game for a long mm. time, I've worked for how many different managers? I only work with them because they, they're, they're confident that I'm going to try to do what they want me to do. Mm. So the verse, I've yeah. been a number two a lot, of, a lot of my career. That's not because that's, that's because I'm adaptable to, 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 to the, the person who comes in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you think about it now. I've worked yeah. with, uh, in the role that I'm working at now, I've worked with Ian Holloway, Steve McLaren, and now, now um, Mark Warburton. Mm. They're all different. Well, now, if I haven't got the skills of a teacher to learn that, right, Mark wants it done like that, Steve wanted it done like that, Ian wanted it done like that, they're not going to ask me. Mark's not asking me what did Steve want or what did, what did Ian want. Mm. I'm not going to say to him, well, when, we, we, when, when Steve mm. was there, we used to cross it to the near post. He's going to say, well, go and work with Steve then. <laughs> and I guess, I guess it's like um, what you said... <laughs> Uh, a bit earlier like uh, you if you didn't have all those experiences you wouldn't be able to have like that sort of comprehensive philosophy that you have now because you, you wouldn't have exposed yourself to that if you shoot on yourself early um, so now uh, at QPR you got the first team manager job how did that come about? 
Uh, well, after leaving Tottenham, well, what basically what happened when I left Tottenham? Uh, me, myself, Tim Sherwood, and 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 Les were were in charge of the team. We did very well, but they wanted to go with uh, Poch. Um, so during that summer, I was um, John Peacock called me and asked asked if I'd want to go to two mm-hmm. tournaments with England under seventeens. And to be fair, it was a really, really brilliant time because um, he actually let me do the coaching, to be fair. And we did it together, but he, he, he involved me. He let me do the bench. He sat upstairs. And it was that was brilliant, refreshing for me. Actually um, reinvigorated me. Um, but Les and Tim were both at the different points of their career. Les, Les decided that he was going to uh, do... Um, go into the boardroom mm. and oversee the club. And he asked me to come there as the, as the uh, in, head of player development at the time. Uh, but within three months, Harry, Harry had, um, you know, had left, uh, uh, vacated the post. Mm. And they asked me to take over as an interim manager. Now, obviously my time at Tottenham uh, and working with top level players and, uh, and um, working in that environment, you know, obviously led them to believe that I could take the, the reins for a period of time without being intimidated by the situation. Mm. Um, unfortunately for me, they, you know, we did okay for a period and they, they gave me the job. Um, you know, we were in a dire situation at the time and we weren't able to, to, to stay in the Premier League. But all those Premier League games that I, that I was in charge of at the time, you know, added to my, to my experience. Mm. And obviously, at, at the time, you know, you've been given that role. Do you feel that maybe I think any person who leaves a job always believes they should have been given more time. Um, I mean, the club were in a, in a, in a in a funny situation at that time because we had players on the books that were um, still were on massive Premier League wages that we thought were going to be um, moving on to, 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 to other clubs um, to, to, to sort of balance the books, yeah. so to speak. Um, and obviously the, the, the situation changed where they needed to, to uh, get promotion yeah. um, in, in mid-plan. Yeah. Um, so, you know, from the club's point of view, I suppose... They looked. They looked at it and thought, "Well, you know, um, how do we do that? How do we do do that um, with what would be seen at the time as a rookie?" But um, you know, we we, yeah. we we had some indifferent results, but we were pretty level, really. You know, I think at the time that I left. But you know, I suppose when you have a club that that comes down. Last thing they want to do is bounce down into to League One, uh, which I was confident that that wouldn't happen. But yeah, you know they make the decision at the at the at the time, and um, I think anybody who has a job um, and gets to sack always believes that they 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 um, they should have been given more time. But I've got no no gripes with the club about their decision. Um, they're making a decision for the whole club, and yeah. obviously to better the finances of the club. At the time, and they 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 thought that I wasn't um, I wasn't going to be able to take them to where they where they needed to be taken to at that time. 
Sure, I know obviously you know you had a brief stint where you've actually left Quebec. They've they've not brought you back, haven't they? And it was a matter of months later that you moved back into an account. You know, oh yeah, that is an, uh, an unbelievably emotionally challenging time for mm. me at that time uh, because from being <laughs> in charge to having to to go back, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say with my tail between my legs, but that's how you feel at the time. And it was quite an emotionally charged time for me because my sister died um, at that time and my brother-in-law died on the day that I got the sack. So, mm. you know, they died within a month of each other. So emotionally, football, in, in, in fact, to get over the football part of it became easier because of the grieving I was doing. Um, away from it, it sort of paled into insignificance. Mm. Really, uh, facing people um, because because I've I've had that catastrophe in my personal life. But um, also, you go back. You know, you got your haters. Uh, you got your haters um, from a from a personal point of view, and you got your haters from a um, a racial point of view as well. People that don't want to see. Uh, black coaches in in jobs, um, so that's part of the, the, the of learning in life and getting over getting over um, disappointment. Um, but the club, to be fair, you know, really Les, really, I believed in Les, believed in what he was what he's trying to achieve, and that I was a, I was an important part of that of that um, of that engine. And when um, and I just decided that, you know, after a lot of soul searching and a lot of talking, he persuaded me that, that from, you know, for the club and my career and at that time, it, it would be a, a good project to, to, to actually shove down people's throats. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, you know, just there, you talked about, you know, I'm sorry to hear what's happened there as well, but you talked about a very challenging time for you and your not just your career, but just your personal life in general. And you know, that's a you know that's a massive thing for someone to go through, and especially in a short, such a short space of time. Would you? What would your? What would you say kept you? I guess motivated or inspired in some way to kind of get through that, and overcome that sort of adversity and that 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 sort of challenge uh... at, at a time like that. My 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 nieces and nephews and my like my a, son, a, my yeah. normal life. It's one of the things I always try and bring things down back to is normal life. Mm. And um, you know, people might say, "What well, a football that No, football's not life. Football is a, is a job, uh, and and it's part of something that you love doing. But normal life bring things back to normal life. Um, and 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 my family and uh, and because when I was a manager, I wasn't really going out, out to to Mayfair and these top places and this and that. I'd go to the pitches with my niece or or, or my son or just normal life, really. So that, that that's the thing that kept kept me kept me going. And but obviously, I felt that the club had invested in me as well. In the fact that they they showed faith in me by giving me the giving me the job, um, I don't like Tony Fernandez and Ruben Galilingan and Lee Lee Hughes and, and obviously Les. 
you know, they they'd shown great faith in me in, in giving in giving me the job and 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 obviously asking me to come back. I think that they actually believed in the project. And had I not felt that that project was a viable project for the club at that time, I probably would have tried to stay into, in first-team football to prove people wrong, you know? Mm. And do, do you have ambitions of moving back into first-team football? Or would you say that you kind of, you know, this, this is your, you know, your, your much more uh, well, in- I am in first-team football at the moment. So... I would say if I was to someone was to say to me, write your job description and you can have it for five years, this would be the job. Yeah. You've got the best job you can. So what happens is, is I go from, uh, so I work with Paul Furlong sometimes on a Saturday morning, Paul Furlong and uh, Furlow, Furlow, Furlong, uh, uh, (laughs) and uh, Micah Hyde and and Addy Bancola on a Saturday morning. (laughs) where it's about performance and development and then yeah. that will finish at one o'clock and I'll drive to the first team match where I set upstairs um, and I do the radio down to the bench for Mark and, and, and John, John Eustace and Neil Banfield. Um, and I talked to Gavin Ward uh, about the strategy that we'd planned during the week. So I've, mm. I've gone from the, 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 the pleasure of, of seeing players playing well and developing to and not really worrying about the score to the end stage. To, yeah, to the heart attack, you know, within a couple of hours. So, uh, pardon? Do you get a break? Uh, yeah, sometimes, you yeah. Get a break? Nah, the yeah, drive. Yeah, the drive through, through, <laughs> through the thing. But, uh, you know, it's, it's you, you, you do that, do you know what I mean? And then obviously after that, then on a Sunday, if, I'm, if, it, if it's one of my days to go to the academy, then I'll go and watch one of the teams there. Where you, where you're trying to get the pleasure of seeing players get to their, you know, what they want to do, that get to their goal, you know. So, you know, for me, going back to first team football, I would obviously, if the club said to me tomorrow, or you know, with which we're going in a different direction, and you're you're um, you're no longer needed at the club. I, I would feel that I've got the versatility to take a, 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 any job that that, come, that comes up, whether it be a first team job or a development job. Sure. Yeah, you have a, like a very comprehensive um, experience, and you've you've gone into different environments, and you've seen the way that different coaches coach, and you you've taken from that as well, and like added it to your bits to create what you do, mm. what you do have now. Mm-hmm. What is it? for you though that is like the biggest bugbear that you have about coaching and you've already touched it I know that but like just can you just delve into that a bit more for us alright well look if you look at our club now right so you've got uh, on Tuesday Monday we played West Ham in a friendly there were yeah. seven or eight academy players uh, took part right? okay Mm-hmm. So you've got, say, someone like... I work closely for with Paul Hall and Andy Impey for, for a period where we work together every day. They work... Mm. They, they've, they, they, uh, um, three's a crowd now. They're, they're too good for me now. So what happens is, is when you, see that, when you see a philosophy that people implement like them to the T and then you see the fruits that come out, out of it, mm. then you've got other coaches that come that may come to your to your to your club who decide that they don't want to do don't want to do that 
and I've got my our our head our our top level um, our senior coaches. We got five. We've got yeah. three thousand games between them, and they're doing it to the T, and um, reaping the benefits. And then you see people come in who've not not. Uh, you know, not been in the game, not coached in the game, not not had the experience that people have had, and then decide that they want to implement ideas that are not tried and tested. Mm. That's my bugbear. It is my massive bugbear uh, mm. be- because the reason being, if you, I've worked in football in the community, what normally happens when you're working with kids who just want to enjoy the game, there's no technical outcome for their career. They just want to come and enjoy themselves and come back, which is fine. So, so from a social point of view, that's, that's where you're heading the, the most. When you're dealing with people that actually want to be a footballer, you, have to, you all have to be on the same page to help them become that footballer. And, and mm. if you've got a way of working that you've got players that have been internationals and been to World Cups who are all sticking to the plan – and you've got people coming in and not doing the plan, mm. I, just don't, I, it, I just don't understand it. I really don't. I don't understand it. And, and, and to me, that's my biggest bugbear um, regarding uh, um, coaches who don't want to learn, who don't want to be versatile. It, 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 I don't understand why. I cannot, can't understand it. Yeah. And, yeah, just, like, just on that, I can, I can imagine... I can imagine it being, being annoying. I mean, it's all about um, the coaches kind of just challenging that big picture sort of image that, cool, whatever you do may work that season, but you're passing them on to another coach who is coaching within the, the framework. And if they haven't been in that framework for a season, it, it's detrimental to the player. Um, in regard, I just want to harken back um, to the sort of uh, racial challenges that you, you, you have faced. Like, so we have organisations like uh, Kick It Out who have their initiatives, obviously, with um, the FA and the Premier League. Um, how much impact do you think they have in racism in football? What, what the stakeholders or, or the, the, those organisations? Those organisations. I, I think that the, I think a lot of the organisations are trying to, to help I think they're being hampered. A lot of them are being ha- hampered because there's, there's a glass ceiling. There's only a certain uh, distance you can go. I think mm. some of the organisations get patted, patted on the head and and accept and do not um, are not radical enough. Mm. You know, we we talk we we talk about evolution all the time. And uh, so I'll give you a little story about a Rooney Rule, shall I? Yes. All right. <laughs> when uh, Ricky Hill has become like Bosman of the Ricky of the Rudy Bull, people don't realise that he was the one who first initially told everybody about it, and everybody okay. everybody grabbed it. Now, when he well, this was two thousand and four, two thousand and five, he came in with myself, myself and him drove up to Leamington Spa to meet uh, John Barnwell, who's in charge of of of, 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 um, of one of the stakeholders at the time. And 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 spoke to him about it. Um, I, I think it would have been shortly after we there was a there was a, a meeting in the city of where the, it, a lot of black coaches and, and and the issues were being brought up. And Ricky introduced the concept back then. Mm. Now, 
that was it was not implemented till 2017 so 13 or 14 years for it to be implemented when they first introduced it in america it was in, it, it, it took four months in 2002 right it took four months for them to introduce it it took 13 years for them to introduce anything like it and when i when it first happened i would have been 42 42 43 something like that i'm now mm. 58 so everybody, so I'm, my career is starting to end, okay, um, from, from, from a seniority point of view. Well, yeah, it depends, what, yeah, it depends, <laughs> it depends if, I, if I can look after myself. But it started from a seniority point of view. If you look at it, there mm. are hardly any coaches older than me for, from the minority um, 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 groups. Yeah. So the only one I think is Chris, Pat, Chris, Chris, uh, Chris Hutton. I think he's 60. Yeah, yeah. He looks a lot younger than me, but he's 60. Now, <laughs> what I'm saying is there's, there's Terry Connor at 57, Chris, um, Keith Kerr at 55, 56, something like that. Um, mm. But there aren't many. There aren't many. So while we've been waiting for this Rooney rule to happen, all the people who would have been in their 40s at that time had gone out of the game. Yeah. <laughs> gone out of the game. So we've lost... Ricky Hill, Ricky Hill, I think 61, 62. We've lost that complete generation of, of ex players. We've lost them waiting for things to be implemented. Yeah, that's what like, I kind of just wanted to like, ask about because, like, obviously, the Rooney rule is good that it does provide um, the opportunities for, for, for SMI knows to be seen and all this. But do you think now it's kind of become a bit procedural by the organization just to be a bit of like a token to just bring them in? Yeah, well, that's that, that's a good point because what could happen is, is if you had a coach, say you had, say, 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 I was out of work, out of work, you could you could be a serial uh, interviewee, couldn't you? Because what they look at yeah. is how what we do is we'll look at someone who's got all the qualifications, but they're a minority, and we'll just interview them for the purpose of it. Uh, that's going to be very difficult to monitor because what what's in people's hearts uh, is very difficult to to to, to see when they're sitting opposite a table and um, basically telling you everything that you want to hear, but actually not mm. giving you the job. Just, so, just on that, Chris, what would you say to those people who are maybe in those positions, um, as you put it, potential serial interviewer, managed to get interviews, and but not really truly knowing, I guess, the backdrop as to why they've been brought in. As it, is it genuine? Is it just a tick box exercise? What would you say to those coaches there? That are, I would say I you still have to go. You have to make sure oh, when you're sitting in that waiting room that you've got every bit of paper that's required. Don't go in there without without the correct qualifications. So as much as a lot of the qualifications do not help you to get jobs, you have to have them because you know that there's an inequality. So don't, do not give people the excuse to not give you the job. Um, and you need to be in a position that the only thing that, why you won't get the job is either um, bigotry or you've, not, you've genuinely not performed on the interview. Uh, but you can't, be, you can't be in a position where you do you you do you seem to be doing well and then they say oh you haven't got that or you haven't got this make make mm. sure you've got everything that you need before you get into any yeah. interview definitely and what about for those guys who maybe got all those things tick ticking those boxes 
Well, they'll find it a challenge it's anyway. Right. So the only thing that can be done is from the only thing that can be changed is from top level, and uh, top level is not going to change because the people who have got the jobs don't want to share the jobs. But don't well, or they people employ people that look like them most of the time. So we know that a lot of uh, boardrooms yeah. don't look like us, do they? Uh, mm. And people are influenced by, uh, by by people to not give um, minorities jobs. Definitely not. Um, no, no, I just wanted to say, like, um, no, go on, go on, thirty plus years in this game. Forty-two, uh, forty-two to like, be precise. Forty-two playing wise mm. as well. Uh, more than. <laughs> <laughs> What would you say, uh, and you've kind of already uh, touched on it, but like, what would you say is the sort of um, biggest lesson that you've learned so far in your journey? Biggest lesson? Yeah. Uh, biggest lesson is do not take anything for granted because you could be out of this game by the drop of a hat. Every time you get the sack, you don't expect it. So mm. we're not every time. And listen, don't get me wrong. If you're bottom of the league and you've won one game, you expect it. But most of the time, you don't don't take things for granted. The game's a beautiful uh, game, as Pele said, but it's a it's a fantastic job and an opportunity. There's too many people moan about this and moan about that, and they don't realise that, that every job you've got, there's a thousand people outside waiting to do that job, or or would or would do that job. So the biggest lesson I've 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 learned is to not is to not take things for granted, not to take the the game for granted, um, and also, also, for, from our point of view as well as 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 a minority group, is also ensure that you're good and jobs that you get are not given out of tokenism, because that's the mm. ultimate racism. Is tokenism because it's basically basically knowing that you're not you're not good at something and that people give you something because only because you're 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 black or Asian um, mm. or a minority. So make sure whatever you do, you 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 know you've earned it by your skill level and by the fact that you've taken the time to be as good as you can. Um, and 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 for for minorities, another lesson: always make sure that you're prepared. Don't, nothing blasé about this because you 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 know that if you don't perform, normally you go. You don't get many. You don't get many chances to not perform. Uh, and just just on that, you know. Just... Near into the end of this uh, interview, I just wanted to ask a couple more questions about your journey. And one, one big, one big one. I really want to get. If there's anything that you could change within your career as a coach or a player, you know, if you had the opportunity to go back and do that, what would that be? As a player, there's just as a player, don't be so stupid, and and be more professional and. Uh, I recover quick, quickly from bereavement. My mum died, and I went on a two-year bender, and that was the end of my career. I, I you know, just unprofessional. Um, so, as a player, I probably would have been more sent, more more professional in 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 how I looked after myself to prolong my career. 
as a coach, I don't think there's really much I would change as a coach because I think everything that you learn, if I'm happy where I am now, then everything that I've, that I've learned has been a journey to get me to where I am. So, it's, you know, all the, anything, anything that didn't work yeah. is still part of the journey. So if I was unhappy, I would, I would probably point at the thing that I was unhappy about. Um, so a lot of the times within any, with any, any um, decision for argument's sake, I could say uh, when I was a manager, I, I bought Grant Hall from Tottenham and he was arguably, arguably, arguably my best player when I dropped him to bring a lone player in from the Premier League. Uh, you know, probably a massive mistake because the, the player let me down. But if you're, if, if, if you're to learn anything, yeah. even the top managers make mistakes. So, so you have to take that as something that you may not do next time. Yeah. So I think you can only look at what you would change from where you're sitting. And if you're happy where you're, sit, where you're sitting then you have to use everything that's gone on before as part of the journey to get you to where you are. Brilliant. And just, you know, just one last one. For, uh, you know, if you had 60 seconds now to leave the listeners with one golden nugget to take away and apply on their own, I guess, work as coaches now, what would, you, what would that be for you? you know, I mean, you've touched on various things in that. But well, I, well, I'm not sure if I've got one nugget for you. I would, I would, I would say versi- versatility... And, and 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 defining how to please people that um, give you you know uh, that rely on you. For me, that as a coach, I think that's one of the, the most important things you can do because unless unless you're in charge, unless you're in charge, you're part of a machine, aren't you? Right. Mm, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have your own identity. Definitely but you need that identity within a framework and people think people think the idea is the coaching so my 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 uh my nugget would be the idea is not the coaching the teaching is the coaching so you can have many ideas have you got the ability to teach those ideas okay and a lot of the times people think that that playing through the playing through the pitch playing through the thirds playing through this this winger comes in and rolls in off the side. He goes round there. They think that that's to being a coach. No, that's not being a coach. That's knowing tactics. Yeah. Just uh, the last one there for us then. You know, you're now obviously in the role of this 10th director. Uh, what's right? next for me? I hope to finish the project at QPR and make the people that have put me there proud of the project that we've that we've tried to implement and that we are implementing, shall I say, um, to to look at um, uh-huh. our academy as a world class academy. We've got some very good staff. Our, my academy manager Alex Carroll is top notch. He'll probably be a CEO one day and be employing me. I hope. Um, um, <laughs> And that's where that's where I, that's where where I see it. I see the, the the project as my main aim to finish that, if given the next four or five years to do it. Um, and I'm hoping we can do it with this manager, 
um, who's got a, a, a history of, of, of uh, working with young players. Um, and that, well, that, that's what I would hope would be next. Everything, everything else, um, if it wasn't to be, I'd want to be doing a technical director's job for a country. Well, we hope we hope we see you, I guess, achieve all, all that you set up for yourself over the next few years. Um, and hopefully you will get all of that. Listen, Chris, I just want to say thank you again for your time. It's been a very, inter- you know, very engaging and uh, entertaining competition. Anytime. Anytime. Thanks for inviting me. Well, there you have it, guys. Another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together.